What's going on, guys? This is another episode of the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. I am your host, Rob, and I am here with none other than Miss Amberell. What's up, going? guys? How are you doing today? I'm great. How are y'all? Oh, so good. So good. Um, we've got an exciting one today, but first, I want to give a huge shout out to our sponsors. We've got Black Rifle Coffee and Sig, two great companies. And I mean, Sig has been releasing so many new guns recently. They just feel like they're on fire, pumping them out, and it's been great. They're lit. Lit. <laughs> Those new comped models. The 365 and the 320 Spectres, the comp, integrated comps. Gold triggers. Ooh. Yes. You gonna get your hands on one of those? I don't know, you gonna help me? Maybe soon. We'll see. I think so. Um, but yeah, gone out and shot them there. I mean, they feel great. I looked at one up close the other day, and like, I don't know if anybody noticed this on all the models they've seen online, but like, they it has my name on it. Oh, did it? Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Dude, that'd be amazing. I know. I I think they made it for me. Seems likely. I mean, all that reduced recoil would right. be great for you. And the gold. And the gold? It's like perfect amount of bougie, perfect amount of practical. It's like take, they took the tactical, made it practical, added in some pizzazz. Okay. It's like the literal perfect firearm for a woman. Okay. Okay. But. I, that's a bold this, statement, on, but like, but, but for real. Perfect? Like literally the perfect firearm. Perfect. Okay. But hold on. This might be a little bit of a teaser, but are they going to fit in the new Fieldcraft leggings? Oh, like a glove. Okay, okay. As long <laughs> as they're doing that. Okay, what are we going to talk about? Oh, we are going to talk about the war between Ukraine and Russia and the humanitarian crisis in Poland. Yeah, I was going to say Poland, but with a really, firsthand perspective, it's not all about Poland. It's Ukraine, yeah, it but is. you were in Poland, so you just got back uh, a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So first, let's talk about how did the trip come about? Like what, what was going on to get you over there? So for those of you that are not aware, I am the director of family preparedness here at Fieldcraft. That includes all things family, all things community and all things women. And I have a passion and a heart for women and especially mothers, because that's just the stage of life that I'm in. Right. And so mm-hmm. I love being able to help inspire mothers to feel more empowered and to really take on that self-reliant lifestyle and families in general, but to see mothers really blossom in that role and feel as if they are fully equipped to go out and tackle the world and go on adventures and just live a full life with their children and know that they're fully capable of doing that. Also love families, love when dads can be involved too. Um, But because I am a woman, you know, I'm not a biologist, but I know that I'm a woman. Can you figure that out on your own? Uh, yeah, I think. I'm okay. like, I'm pretty sure. All right. Well, um, <laughs> you're ahead of some other people. Um, I just feel like I really need to lean into that. That is what, I, women are what I understand. The intricate and unique ways that our mind works, that's what I understand. And so I just love, I love leaning into that role. And doing that as the Director of Family Preparedness has been um, so life-giving well, in this stage of life. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, this kind of goes back to, all things feel craft and women and family preparedness. But, um, a lot of times we talk about not teaching down to women or not teaching them in a different manner, but you need to teach them in a way that applies to what they're doing Very and in relatable. a way that, yeah, making it relatable and making it applicable to what they're doing so that they can say, Oh, I carry a gun differently, or mm-hmm. I do this thing differently, or I have to have different considerations. And so I think that all applies to, addressing the women's market and the, mm-hmm. the women in, in a way that they can relate to. Yeah. And I mean, 
y'all do amazing. Mike does amazing. Kevin Estella does amazing. Kevin Owens does amazing work. But there's so many nuances when it comes to being a woman, especially as a mother, that you just really can't speak to unless you live that life. And so I think we can both agree that I I fully live that life. I, I homeschool my three children. Um, you know, I maintain a small homestead on my own as a single mom. And so I really, I live that active lifestyle of filling those roles. And, and so to bring that to the table in a way that's very authentic to me is very fulfilling and rewarding. And so, so how that gets you to Poland? Well, being that I work here at Fieldcraft, we have great connections, especially in the veteran world. And so one company that, you know, I've always really followed closely has been, you know, Mighty Oaks originally. That's that found, that's the foundation that Chad Robichaux set up. And then he integrated with Tim Kennedy and Sarah Verardo and um, Nick Palmashan, Palmashan, Palmashan. Yeah, and I, so they we all work with Nick a ton, and I still all, can't pronounce his name. Sorry, Nick. Four, they all four formed Save Our Allies back in August, whenever they began doing the evacuations of the Afghans before the U.S. withdrew from Afghanistan. And they've transitioned Save Our Allies from doing that work in Afghanistan into a new mission, which is doing work in Poland. Okay, getting, so we worked with them a little bit back when they were getting people out of Afghanistan, which they're still doing. Yes. Um, I, I guess I haven't been as involved in a little bit, but. You have, um, I think you and I, I think that we haven't really spoken to this much, but this, you and I were deeply involved back in October, uh -huh. um, helping Mike get his interpreter and his family out. Mm -hmm. And so Mike was in Hawaii at the time on a plane, terrible time zones. And so he passed that on to us. And so we had to do the ground communication with Save mm -hmm. Our Allies to get the family, the, the remaining part of the family, because half of the family had made it yeah. to Abu Dhabi. I don't know if we have told that story, but yeah, half of the family yeah. had made it out. Um, the other half were rejected, weren't able to make it out. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, it was a, a couple weeks later, they made another attempt and thankfully were successfully able to get out of the country. Um, and, and yeah, so we were heavily involved with working with Save Our Allies at that point mm -hmm. um, and, and trying to make sure that that all went as as well as it could and then i haven't seen as much on the on the inside since then i guess yeah. i don't know if you have but um but yeah and then it kind of popped up again with ukraine mm -hmm. they shifted a lot of the operations over there as yeah. things um kind of dialed up in with russia and ukraine and um they had a lot of needs over there now right and i, I think you and i got to see the legitimacy of what the of the work that they were doing mm -hmm. and we saw you know they were i think at the time they really thought that there were multiple organizations alongside them doing that work and then when all was said and done they realized that they were they were actually the only organization that went in physically and started removing people via flights and so that was pretty significant um so i've just followed everything closely and i've just I, i've i've occasionally sent through like some encouragement and some prayers. And, um, I, I started to see, I actually had some folks from that had Ukraine, Ukrainian family that were reaching out on Instagram, just letting me know what it sounded like the crisis was evolving into. And so we saw in the initial stages that men of fighting ages, you know, within certain ages and who were developmentally able, physically able had to stay behind to fight. 
And then the mothers and the children and the elderly were evacuating. Mm -hmm. And and so it looked like a very female dominated evacuation that was happening. And that's what the crisis was. As it began to rise, it was mostly women, men staying behind, some single women staying behind to fight or younger unmarried women, some married Mm -hmm. women, you know, choosing to bear arms for their country. And when I say humanitarian crisis, look, I was born and raised in Southwest Louisiana. Storms, hurricanes, natural disasters and the crisis that ensues and the humanitarian crisis that ensues after that is not something that I'm foreign to. But on the scale of what's happening in Europe, it's almost unfathomable until you see it. Mm -hmm. But if you have the comparison, like the metric of comparison, like I can say for for a hurricane Mm -hmm. to multiply that and to try to figure out what the response to that in an effective way and in a long-term way is supposed to look like, you can imagine that everyone is just reeling, just trying, trying to figure out what the next steps are, you know? So Ukraine is about one and a half times bigger than California, okay? So let's put it into perspective. Texas is only 12% bigger than Ukraine. It's about the size of Texas. Yes, physical size. It ha- they have 40, they have almost 44 million people. So that is, that's about almost 20 million more people than Texas in a country about the size of Texas. Being pushed and displaced. Imagine if Texas plus 20 million more people were displaced from Texas. Can you imagine it's what like the surrounding where, where states would be? But happen? let's add in the fact that if this happened, the places in which the Texans would go would be English-speaking places. Makes it a little easier. To go from Ukrainian-speaking Ukraine into Polish-speaking Poland. And trying to figure out <laughs> what's happening, where you're going, and how to house all of these people. In an emergent crisis, moment of crisis, without your husband, potentially. Be, this, is survive, this is survival. Okay, mode. so... So how did so, I get there? Okay. So you, well, so well, I guess we, we didn't finish that thought, but I mean, we're talking about what did this look like on the ground yeah. when you have this mass exodus of people and you have all those circumstances. I mean, you throw in your English with the Ukrainians and the Poland, Polish people and trying to figure out how do you how do you communicate? Where are they going? What's happening? Um, I mean, yeah, you got you got a dish. Let's go. I got a dish. What's it like? Give yeah. me the 411. Um, listen, I don't know if you know, but I'm just heavily involved in the clandestine operations of humanitarian work. So. I think if you're in there, you're not supposed to tell <laughs> I'm people. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> um, what did it look like? So, it, or tell us how, how actually how you got there. I mean, oh, you were yeah, actually okay, we're talking with Save Our Allies. Yeah. And, and kind so, of yeah. Back and forth. So, I would. You know, as as a Christian, I know that they're they're a Christian based organization. And so there were there were different times when I was like, how specifically can I pray for you? And and I have friends that I, you know, kind of had these prayer groups with. And so we were trying to pray very specifically for um, individual missions they were going on. And so like right before I got there is when they went in to get um, the Fox News reporter. Mm -hmm. Benjamin Hall out like they were the they were the foundation in charge of that operation, the non-government agency that went in to Ukraine and evacuated Benjamin Hall. And they were able to save his life. You know, once he got to medical facilities, was transported out into Germany. And so praying for the specific missions was really important rather than just saying, you know, 
generic, you know, let's pray for you. You know what I mean? It's like, I really, I felt deeply connected to it. And I think it's really important for us to have that discernment and be led in certain instances to just feel impassioned about something. And I think it's no surprising matter to everybody that knows me that I would be deeply connected to something that was women and children Mm -hmm. who felt helpless. Like that will attract me like, like a magnet, you know? And so we started to talk about specific ways that I could help, you know, like I do, that's my role at Fieldcraft. Like, is there any way that I could be helpful in any capacity? And so it first kind of became a joke, like, well, do you think you can hop on a plane and get over here? Because we could really use a woman, especially somebody who has a nursing background. Right. You're a nurse. So mm-hmm. on the ground with these women. And so, you know, at first it's like one of those haha moments. And then you're like, wait, I mean, technically, I guess I could. Your schedule was just magically free. It, I, I am so blessed to have family and the children's father who were there to help out with them. I have a wonderful nanny who is a great asset, helps homeschooling the kids. My sister-in-law helps as well. And so I have a great team in place at this stage. My children are a little older now. And so um, it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, terrible for me to leave for a week to go do some humanitarian work. So it worked out. And um, within, what was it? Three days, within three days of us deciding I was on a plane. Yeah, I think it was yeah. Monday. And then you were, I mean, technically you were gone Friday. Yeah. So four days. Yeah, four days. Um, you almost left Thursday. Yeah, on accident. <laughs> <laughs> but got to sort it out. You're good. <laughs> um, and so I got on the ground, you know, met up with Chad and Save Our Allies and just kind of got tied into what was happening there. Um, the the humanitarian facilities that are that are on the ground there are operating outside of whatever large transportation stations they can in order to facilitate moving these people quickly through. So we're stationed in a larger city. And so as soon as people are crossing the border from Ukraine, they can get into the city, have their basic needs met. We had medical facilities in place there. Um, they had done such a great job. I mean, things move at the speed of lightning in the middle of a humanitarian crisis, right? So the way that the medications were organized the first day I got there were completely different from the way they were organized two days later, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But let me tell you, having an English-speaking nurse administering Polish medication to Ukrainians... sounds dangerous. Listen, (laughs) I, like, created spreadsheets late into the night that did language conversions and also Punk. medical conversions <laughs> that I was passing out to everybody because I just couldn't, I couldn't deal with the lack of efficiency anymore. And, and that, I mean, that's what it is. It's it's a grassroots effort at that moment of volunteers stepping up to the plate to serve. And the polls are deeply hospitable people. That's what I witnessed, you know, I have heard multiple opinions. I've seen multiple opinions on the internet and and comments people make. But my experience there were selfless people. Um, of course, you're going to have rotten eggs and people who feel differently everywhere. But selfless people opening the arms of their city um, to millions of refugees. That's crazy. Yeah. Where, like, where are they all coming? Like staying? I mean, you talked about their train stations, mass mm-hmm. transportation. Um, tell us a little bit about kind of the flow of people. Cause yeah. you mentioned there's different, like different camps or different areas where they're kind of getting basic needs met. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously you have med needs, you have hygiene, mm-hmm. you have 
you know, food and sleep, like how are they moving through this process and, and then what's happening? Like where, yeah. where are they going? Well, the interesting thing too that I think people forget is that this is a first world country. So weeks, weeks ago, a month ago, over a month ago, they were living very similar lives to, mm-hmm. to what we would imagine a first world country would be. And so, um, a lot of them had spent some time in bomb shelters, you know, if they were close to Kiev or if they were on the eastern side of, of Ukraine where they had the Ru- Russian military in their cities um, and they were kind of like sequestered to their homes at that time. And if they were able to escape and get over the border, there were there were those basic needs. There were there were a lot of emotional needs that were coming out. Hmm. You know, I mean, a lot of people dealing with the shock of and the trauma. And I think we're in an age almost like another age of enlightenment where people are recognizing that the emotions and dealing with trauma is plays a significant role on not only your mental health, but your physical health, you know? And so a lot of that was actually being addressed, like initially in the camps, like they were really trying to meet the mental health needs of these people. So alongside the medical professionals, they had people offering uh, mental health services as well, because I mean, these children are, imagine your children just oh, yeah. suddenly existing in, in war, you know? having to walk across the border because your vehicle ran out of fuel 15 miles before the border. And then you get to the other side of the border and it's just rural landscape. And you're like, I thought I would get to Poland and everything would be okay. And you're just in rolling fields. That'd be crazy. I mean, I can't imagine the stories of people getting out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, what would that feel like? Yeah. I can only imagine it'd be crazy. So there are like closer to the transportation centers. It's very basic. Like, um, You know, when I got there immediately, there were some there were some rooms stationed off where they had bunks like like cots set up and they had partitions between to try to give mothers and children certain uh, privacy. But those were literally there for you to use for three hours at a time. So that was like take a quick nap get your get your things in order change out the sim card in your phone like they had people there volunteers who were give you give your passport and they'd give you a sim card for free and that way you had you had service to the polish communication towers wouldn't have even thought of that yeah so um that was there um they had people there just volunteers trying to help them come up with plans about where they were going some people had family other places in europe that they were trying to make their way to and so it was just a matter of the logistics of transportation um getting them onto the proper train or in onto a bus that would take them here and put them on an airplane and um so there was just it, it was almost like that that city had become a place of of respite for a short period of time. They got they got past that initial survival of getting out of Ukraine, and then they just needed a second to get their bearings, mm-hmm. you know, for part two of the plan. Some of them just needed to recharge their cell phones and get a meal. <laughs> a little pit stop, you know, or or um, if they had walked barefoot, like we had some people with like skin abrasions, or their kids had ear infections, or really bad coughs, and so they just needed those basic needs met before they could move on to the next the next plan. There were some women who didn't have time to grab the proper luggage or a suitcase who had their all their belongings that they had brought with them in bags and you had to help them like secure a suitcase. And so there were, it felt very grassroots. Like there were a lot of like one by one type scenarios. And this is, that's insane when you say there's mm-hmm. millions of people coming through, but it's like, you're just, they're doing damage control the best you can, you know? Um, just and nonstop then, one person after another trying to figure out what yeah. they need. Yeah. And then once, uh, so the boys and girl scouts of Poland is, it's not just, 
it's not just young people. Like this is, this is almost like a Kiwanis club of sorts where it moves into adulthood and it's a very significant part of the culture there. And so the, the Boy Scouts and the Girl Scouts were highly involved in the operations of the humanitarian work. And they, they did it in a really organized way. I, as organized as it can be in the middle of a crisis, you know, Mm -hmm. um, they rallied very quickly and they were always willing to flex and pivot. So like I said, like one day it would look one way and then the next day partitions were moved around because they realized they needed to create, you know, they had the capacity to create more space this way, or they needed to secure more privacy, or uh, they were really trying to meet the needs of the people. Um, Once you moved out from the transportation centers, there were, you know, empty, empty malls, like malls that had closed down that they converted into longer term humanitarian centers where they set up plywood bathrooms and shower, you know, like people came in and just set this up in a day to give them the facilities to take care of their basic hygiene and let the kids play, you know, like it's imagine a mall with the, um, the, um, the escalator with like giant tarps over the escalator and like a fountain that used to be in the middle, like dried up and covered uh, with visqueen and then little kids on scooters, like like driving around around in circles with gummy bears and suckers, (laughs) (laughs) just like stopping to, to wave at you and tell you hi. It's just, they're doing, they were just doing the best they could with the facilities they had, but yeah, just really um, being resourceful people. Um, Churches, we're really coming forward. I mean, the church networks that are existing are a huge and powerful force for the good of the Ukrainian troops nice. right now and the Ukrainian people. Um, like, it's amazing to watch like the the body of believers, like the capital C church of people come together and just serve together in that capacity. That was really, really incredible and inspiring. But churches would come forward and they'd say like, we're gonna take a thousand people and they would find they find like long term places for them to stay. They help to connect them to Ukrainian speaking tutors that can help establish, you know, um, reintegrate their children back into some form of education, find some type of work for the mom to earn money while she's here. And so um, that's really amazing, like just small pockets, you know. Yeah. So how, out of kind of all of these people that are kind of stepping in, mm-hmm. were the the vast majority of them Poles? Like, or did you have other groups? I mean, you're American coming in. Yeah. Save Our Allies is an American mm-hmm. organization coming in. Were other European countries coming in? They were, yeah. I mean, I not everyone was going to Poland. Obviously, they want to go somewhere where there's not, um, there's not like um, pro-Russia, a pro-Russia culture there. And so... I mean, there's not that many ways out of... Poland is taking the lion's share just because they are the Western border. Right. I mean, they're the massive border with mm-hmm. Ukraine and yes. it's it's the path away from exactly. Russia. Exactly. So there's yeah. not that many other countries you can go to, at least initially. Right. Without passing through Poland. I mean, there's a couple, but. A little Belarus, you yeah. know, but a little Black Sea. Um, they had a couple people critique me on that and they were like, you know, Europe is taking a lot. The, like the greater Europe is taking a lot of refugees as well. And it's like, yeah, through facilitated mostly through Poland, mm-hmm. you know. So, um, like the, so Polish, other- the Polish people will tell you how many people they've seen come through and how fearful they are that a second wave of this, like if Russia were to continue to push um, westward and everybody in Western Ukraine who thought that they've had time and they could, like it'll be over soon, they can just sit there. And these are sentiments that are coming directly from the mouths of the Ukrainians, When I, the things that I repeat to you. It's not things I've heard on the news. They've said, you know, I have family in Western Ukraine and they stayed because... 
because they keep hearing reports that it's going to be over in a few days. And so they don't want to uproot their whole family and leave if when it's it not going to happen. affects them and mm-hmm. they could have stayed. And- but the further west they push, the more people are going to have to leave. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, the, Pol- the Polish people were even expressing concerns that a second wave that happened in the same capacity the first wave did, millions of people would crash the the infrastructure the economy and so that's why they were trying to be so diligent about processing these people through mm-hmm. you know i mean they were they would send people up to sweden you know they had ferries like you can get them north mm-hmm. um to the netherlands into germany into france into spain to israel like people were going everywhere um so it's it's become a it's become an I don't want to say problem because it sounds like something of a burden and while it is a burden it's also a responsibility for humanity, but it's become a responsibility for the sake of humanity for all of Europe, you know, mm-hmm. because Poland is not going to be able to sustain oh, for sure. the longevity of that. And so, I mean, how many, do we know, what's the number to date? I mean, it was so a couple hard to track, million, yeah. wasn't it? I think, well, Last, I mean, when I left, it was up to like three or four million, three or four million. but yeah, the numbers were rising. Um, and so... Not only you're so concerned about meeting immediate immediate needs, you know, that's I mean, that's the foundation of a humanitarian effort. But then after that, you have to facilitate long term needs as well. So what were the biggest short term needs that you saw? Med, food. Um, and and coming up with with oh. solid plant next step plants. You know, I can't tell you how many women I had conversations with who via Google Translator or a physical <laughs> translator would tell me. I wasn't ready for this. I wasn't prepared for this. And that is like a stab to my soul, right? When I'm like, I wish we could have had a conversation. Yeah, for sure. Family preparedness. Um, Like like women who who were stuck trying to figure out how they were going to acquire certain documents because it's it's not, it's every country is a different country. Uh It's small, like Europe is a- Patchwork. A patchwork of small countries, countries, you know? but they need the documentation required to move through. And then like the currency changes, like even we were talking about the SIM cards. Um, and it's like, uh, there were there were so many women who would, you know, I, and we'd talk about it and I'd say, what, what would you do differently? You know, because they wanted, and not in an insensitive way, they were wanting to have these conversations because they were actually relaying information back to their family at home who maybe haven't left yet. And so they're like, you know, I feel I'm so deeply grieving for my family that's there because I know how difficult it was for me to have to do this. So we'd have the conversation like, well, what would you do differently? And um, they they wish that they would have had almost what they described as like a go bag Mm -hmm. ready with copies of their official documents, basic needs that they had, like contacts like if they had certain prescription contacts or glasses um like having backups of those having clothes uh, medications that they needed um like extra charging banks like power banks for their phone because the loss of technology had become and the ability to communicate had quickly happened but had become such a significant hindrance for them because they weren't able to facilitate their their movement across the border once they had lost access to communication right and they were you know kind of i mean they were able to facilitate that it just became harder mm-hmm. um and imagine doing that on your own with maybe your elderly mother and three young children it's just like it was a mess and i've had people too 
contradict things and say, well, you must know not not know the Ukrainian women like they're very <laughs> brute women who are capable of, of doing a lot. You know, um, men are scared of the women over there. And while that may be true, and I do think that they are very brave and very resilient. It's a circumstance you're putting them in that is definitely. You're removing the, the man, seats. the male. Putting them in a war torn scenario that they weren't prepared for. Right. And pulling them out of their, their home and their yeah. comfort zone. And like, it and doesn't matter like how hard headed or <laughs> whatever, yeah. whatever words you want to use to describe them are. This is the hard circumstances, you know, no doubt. Like you don't, you have to cultivate a life of preparedness, no matter how, how um, strong the, your culture is and how strong the women are portrayed in that culture, preparedness is not something that is just innate. Maybe maybe it can be part of your family culture and it feels a little more innate, but it's still something that you have to cultivate intentionally. And that's what was missing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I mean, you look at it, I mean, we talk, obviously we talk about this all the time, right? This is what we do is right. help prepare people for these types of scenarios. and you look at it and there's so many variables to consider mm-hmm. that you think sometimes, oh, well, I'll, I'll be ready. Like right. I go camping all the time. I could bug out. I can hunt. I can do these things. But it's, okay, well, how much time do you have to get mm-hmm. out and how prepared are you in that moment, right? Where, oh, is your city being bombed? Mm-hmm. That, that adds a level of complexity to maybe they had to leave their home and go somewhere else for a short period of time. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know, I mean, but you got minutes to grab something, it's okay. Or maybe you didn't think about documents. I've never once thought about bugging out and having my passport copy in there so that I could get into a different country. Have you not read my blueprint for family preparedness? Look, it's on the list. Did, did you even send it to me? Mm-hmm. I don't think so. Multiple times. But that's something that Multiple times. I don't know about that. <laughs> That's probably true. Um, but yeah, I mean, thinking about some of those things, like a lot of times I think about the natural disasters. If I had to leave my house, I think it's going to be an earthquake. I live in Utah, right? We don't have the hurricanes. We've got fires, which I'd be hard pressed to think that a fire could get to my house kind of where it's situated, but, um, but it's a possibility. And then you've got earthquakes and it's like, that's kind of one of the biggest things that I think about is, okay, what if there's an earthquake? Well, that's a very different circumstance than, than a war mm-hmm. breaking out. And, you know, so a lot of those things are things that you've got to consider is what are all of these variables? What are all these things that are important and be as prepared as you can, right? Mm-hmm. And making sure that you understand your circumstances and what what might cause you to have to take certain actions. Yeah. I had a really interesting conversation with a, a Polish woman and she, and and a lot of them do speak English, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the European countries do, there's a lot of European countries that use that English as their primary language. And so a lot of them do speak English as a secondary language. And, um, and she and I had a conversation about her family or her, her mother and father specifically that had evacuated. And she said, you know, if, if people are paying attention, the heat was being turned up. And so a potential conflict with Russia while they would love to believe that it wasn't true because, you know, a lot of the Ukrainian culture is very, well, especially the Eastern Ukrainian culture. Um, it's, 
it has a lot of strong ties. Like it, the industrial economy of Eastern Ukraine had strong ties to the USSR. So it's very culturally Russian. And mm-hmm. Eastern Ukraine is a little different because it was part of the Habsburg Empire, um, which was a monarchy that existed from the 13th century until right before World War II, right around the mm-hmm. time of, I mean, of World War One. And then, and then that's when Ukraine, you know, suddenly the world cared about boundaries, <laughs> borders <laughs> momentarily. <laughs> Apparently they don't matter anymore. Um, and so you almost have like that cultural division within the country of Eastern and Western being a little different. But of course they didn't want to believe that this was going to happen. But like she said, the heat was getting turned up. Mm-hmm. And so she had conversations with her parents about what does this what does this look like if this would happen? And so obviously they knew if something were to happen, where what direction is it coming from? From the east. Which direction will they be going? To the west. Yes. And so they had plans, like routes, almost like rendezvous points. Like where would we be going? Where will we go from here? What do we need in order to do that? Should we get Polish currency right now? You know? Interesting. So they again making those plans understanding the circumstances, the the possibilities of what they would be facing mm-hmm. and making plans for it. Right. And that's preparedness. Yeah. That's being willing to say, I don't want this to happen, but it might. And if it does, it's in my best interest to know what's happening. That's like sitting down at a table and drinking some amazing European coffee. I mean, it's no black rifle, but it's a close <laughs> second, right? Yeah, I mean, if you've got to go all the way over there and you don't have it, I guess it'll it'll make do. <laughs> And creating a, a plan, contingency plans. If this mm-hmm. happens, where are we going? What do we need? What do we need copies of? Let's throw some stuff in a bag so we're better prepared. Um, what happens if this route gets closed? Where would our secondary route be? Do we have backup power banks to charge our phones? Do we have printed are, are out? Are they charged? Yeah. <laughs> are they charged? Are, the are those power back- banks charged? Yeah. Um, do you have a charged power bank to charge your dead power bank? <laughs> Um, if that, if these routes close, do we have physical maps to know what our secondary route is? Like what city are we going to go to? Um, where are we going to stay? What alternate transportation could we use? You know, whether that's trains or buses or do we have family elsewhere in Europe that can be ready and prepared to meet us at a certain rendezvous point? You know, what's our, what is our backup communication with them? You know, I personally brought a satellite device. Mm -hmm. Um, and so because I wasn't even willing to not have a backup set of communication in another country where I I did spend a significant amount of time by myself. Right. So you, I mean, obviously the satellite trackers have your location, Mm -hmm. but also give you the ability to send messages and make sure that you can communicate should you not have cell reception Mm -hmm. or, um, or potentially you go into a different country with the wrong SIM card. Right. You can still communicate with the satellite device Mm -hmm. or Um, the infrastructure crashes. Yeah. Um, you know, and Elon Musk isn't there to save you. Hey, there's no wars in space yet, so the satellites <laughs> should be good. Yeah. Um, so it was it was it was really interesting to see that they had done that thought process and that their scenario had turned out a lot different than the scenario of other people. Who, not to say these these women, these families, some of them included men because they um, physically could not stay and fight. Mm. Um, they they weren't getting their getting their ducks in a row, so to speak. But it would have been a different experience had they. Had, yeah. Did you feel like you could, you could kind of tell who was was more prepared for it, or yeah, yeah, when 
And you could tell when it was somebody's like first day in the city versus somebody's third day in the city, you know, but it was so beautiful to still see. So they're very um, resilient people. The Ukrainians are, which I mean, if you if you're watching the war go down right now, you can see that they're um, (laughs) they're a powerful group of people. Yeah. Um, They're hopeful, but they're there's there was still a tenderness there, you know, and that was that was really that was really inspiring to see to be in the in the middle of a humanitarian tent city full of tents. You know, this tent is donations where people can go and get strollers or suitcases or clothing or toys for their kids. This tent was food. This tent was sleeping quarters where they had a few hours where they could sleep. And in the middle of all of that were mothers laughing and chalking or making crafts or blowing bubbles or rolling balls with their children and just still being so nurturing and tender in the process. And, you know, I talked about this on Instagram a few times, but like to sit at the table with these women who 24 hours before had been in a a bomb shelter outside of Kiev to watch them sit at a table and like blow on some soup to cool it off for their little toddler sitting next to them. It's like, to be able to be in physical proximity to these people and it not be something that you hear on the news. And it's, these are actual, these are actual human lives still existing, still doing all of the things that we do on a regular basis and, and still feeling hopeful, like still having conversations with me about what they want their children to learn that year or the dreams that they have, like to see that retained um, was really beautiful in the midst of, of all of that. Yeah, I like, I mean, when you, when you talk about the humanity of people and you, when you talk about like, it's one of the things that I've learned kind of being involved in some of these things is when you actually see things happening on the ground, when you actually see specific people or specific situations, it feels very different than when you look at it from what you see on the news yeah, or when you look at it from, you know, from the macro perspective of, oh, this is a situation happening. And then you hear oh, this person went through this mm-hmm. or this family went through this. Yeah. And it, it brings that level of, of uh, you know, the, the personal connection and the humanity mm-hmm. to a situation that could otherwise very much be overlooked or dismissed because of, you know, maybe political reasons or maybe um, misunderstandings or maybe because yeah. they don't agree with decisions that other people are making, but mm-hmm. the people are still dealing with this. Right. right? The innocents. The innocents mm-hmm. are the ones who suffer in the war. To have people, you know, slide into my DMs and say things like, uh, and so sorry, Haley, my virtual assistant <laughs> who has to deal with, with most of that, um, to say things like, you know, this is Hunter Biden's war. <laughs> like, why would you want to be involved in any capacity or you're just a political puppet being over there? Right, but are like, the people listen, hunt, like listen, responsible like, for that? I sure as heck hope that if my country fell into the circumstances that the Ukrainians have found themselves in, I would not be judged by the decisions of my leaders. Right. And somebody would be willing to come and help me and my children. Like it's the innocence. It's the humanitarian work that exists. Yes, it is important to open your eyes to the political spectrum and the political world that exists around you. That's why it's so significant paying attention to not only your local elections, but your state elections and your national elections. Mm -hmm. 
But that, but those are two different things. They're but two that, different like, issues. That's the role you play. That's the role you play. Contact your senators and your congressmen and try to have a voice. But then also there's the part of action. There's the part of getting yourself involved in things in which you feel discernment about your need to be involved. We There's crises that occur all across the globe on a regular basis. I get that. And I even had people in my in my DMs telling me, trying to tell me about what crisis I should be at instead of this one. The crisis is occurring in the United States. I get it. But if we, the people who are capable of helping in some capacity, even if it's but a drop in the ocean, can pay attention to the discernment where we are able to use our individual skill sets and the places in which we thrive and we've been given gifts and the ability to illuminate the darkness and lean into that, that's when things change in the world. Mm-hmm. And so I agree. All of these things are crises and I hate it. I hate that I can't help everyone everywhere. And the majority of the time, I truly believe that my work here on this earth in this in this specific season of life is within the walls of my home, raising very empowered, very kind, very understanding and intelligent and educated and well-rounded children who have a softness for humanity. That's where my primary work exists. Secondary, my work is helping to empower other mothers and other families to do the same because we have to raise another generation of leaders. We have to. Yeah. But there are times also when my role is to go into the world and use those strengths, that understanding and that softness and tenderness that I have. And that's where it was supposed to be utilized. I was very clear on my discernment in the matter. You and I spoke about Mm -hmm. this. Like I prayerfully consider this. I had people that are my mentors in life that I also had prayerfully considering this for me. And I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that's where I was supposed to be. And my nine-year-old said it best when she crawled onto my lap the night before I left and she hugged me and she said, I'm not crying because I'm scared. I'm crying because I'm so proud of you because I know that you're the best mom in the world. And if this were happening to me, I would want a mom like you to fly across the ocean to take care of me. And I think that's the best example that you can give for your kids is to be selfless, to take of your time and your talents and be able to help other people and help your children see, like, I I would love it if my kids could learn a way to help other people as impactful as that. Um, and the fact that she could recognize that even before you went um, says something about you know, who she is. Like what innocent wisdom, right? Mm-hmm. It was so simple, like coming out of her mouth, it was so simple. And, and, and I get that everyone, every mother doesn't have the ability to put their feet on Polish soil and hold the hands of Ukrainian mothers. Like, obviously not. It just so happened that I was capable of doing that. And I, I felt like it was a responsibility as a representation of all of the women standing beside me who feel the same passion and all of the men too, who feel that same passion, but couldn't be there. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously we all have different roles to play. And so the, the, the awareness, the prayers, the, even the small financial donations, all of that makes a mission possible. Mm-hmm. Obviously there's some people that have to get on the ground and, but not everybody can. Yeah. Um, but I think everybody can do something. something. Right. Whether that is the donations or whether that's finding the the people in their own community that they can impact or teaching Um, your children. mm -hmm. You know, it's like I even just wanted people to understand. The. 
the deep sadness in the midst of war, what that, what war does to a country, to a people, to the future of these children, what this actually looks like on the ground, how and how we can mitigate our own risks in our own lives, not to prevent war. That's inevitable. The rise and fall of nations is, is inevitable. We've seen that since the beginning of time. But how do we protect our family? How do we protect our community as best we can in the midst of the uncontrollables? How do we control what we can control? Mm hmm. That starts by just teaching your children about what's going on, teaching your children where where Ukraine even is, where Russia is, what the USSR was, what NATO is, what it means, what this means for America mm -hmm. and 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 opening their eyes so that as they grow, as these children grow and take on the fissures and the cracks and all of the parts of the crumbling foundation and us and rising foundation and, and, and rising structure, I'm going to say foundation of this world in which we are leaving behind for them. They are more capable of doing that. Absolutely. That like that's powerful. And that starts by you simply getting an inside look into what this looks like, into what the voice of a Ukrainian woman sounds like. And and I, and I felt so sure-footed in the process. And I felt so, I didn't, I, I don't even felt like I posted about it as much as I wanted to. And, you know, I would make jokes like, I feel like I live double lives because I'm like, first of all, my phone is exclusively a, a Google translator for the most part in the, in the middle of the, in the middle of this, this um, outreach that we're doing. Um, but like what, I can't set up my phone to record me speaking to these women, like sitting at their feet, holding their hands, like letting them cry and just trying to reassure them it's going to be fine. Being a representation of hope for America, like them questioning over and over again, like, why would you leave freedom to come here? Um, I didn't even get to showcase the majority of that because I was so consumed by the actual efforts of it. Um, but but I hope in some way I was able to show people what it felt like, what it sound, what it looked like. Not 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 like a newscast just telling you what's happening, but a connection to what's happening. Yeah. Um, and, and like, that's what I most longed for was to just create awareness, yeah, you know, which is, which is powerful. And to let people know, I, I don't want you to look at what I'm doing and think I could never do that. Like, don't even allow this to be a base for comparison. Look at what I'm doing and say, I, I'm standing right beside you. I'm holding your hand. I'm praying for you. I am becoming more aware. I am more tied to this than I was before. Like I wanted it to be a collective battle cry, mm -hmm. not like a look what I can do. You know, it was just, I, it was deeply humbling and I was deeply honored and. Well, I know that that happened, right? I mean, people came in and helped mm -hmm. in other ways, right? With, with making you, with helping you be able to go, yeah, right? 100%. Everybody has a role to play mm -hmm. and everybody's role has to be different. Otherwise nothing would get yeah. accomplished. We are we are all we are all parts of a moving, functioning, living body, carrying out a role, and so leaning into what that part is for you in your season of life is critical. And that first be begins with discernment and discerning what your role looks like. Got off on way of a tangent, but we can move to the next <laughs> one. Um, anything else about on the ground? I mean, tell me what tell me what your first impressions were when you got there. Well, and then 
or, or maybe even pre first impressions. What were your, what, what were you expecting yeah. going in? And then your first impressions when you hit the ground. And then how was that changed a week later when you were leaving? Yeah. So, I mean, it seems scary at first. And a lot of people think you're crazy for going into a war torn country. I feel like I had a little bit of insight because of what conversations I had had with Chad and, and Save Our Allies. And so I knew that that they would not have allowed me to go to a place that they didn't feel was truly safe. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, first of all, landing in Poland, I initially got tied up with border control. Like border security detained me. They took my phone. They took every single thing I had, my bag, my luggage, and they kept me for about an hour and a half. I didn't understand what was going on. I was completely confused. I kept asking questions and they were like very sternly telling me to just just wait. Um, We think that it had something to do with all of the medical equipment that I had in my bag. And so all the tourniquets, Um, they looked very militant, I'm sure. Um, But I, I, that was very much a, a shock of like, Girl, you ain't American no more. <laughs> you know? Yeah, all the all the random checks that happen every time. <laughs> Super random. Random. Um, so that was really interesting. And so it it was there was very much a peace to the city, even in the midst of the crazy amount of people that were moving through. It was really nice to see that it's still I mean, Europe in and of itself and a lot of those old historical historical ancient uh-huh. towns just has that 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 peace and that like that really deep rooted fortitude about it and so that was definitely maintained um and these cities uh you know i'm actually reading a, a read aloud to my kids right now and it's a, a historical nonfiction, but it, it evolves around um some events that had transpired hundreds upon hundreds of years ago and these ancient cities it's not the first time that they've taken in taken in um refugees from that area of the world you know it's Mm -hmm. almost like this this little well-worn path that's happened a few times before and so it's really interesting to read these these um accounts of what happened centuries before interesting Um, yeah they're learning any lessons from the his from history you know i think we all just at one point or another, stop paying attention sometimes. Not all of us, you know, but some of us. Um, it's just the the course of of humanity, you know, to just repeat mistakes over and over again. Yeah. Rise and fall, rise and fall. <laughs> but um, it felt, it did feel very safe. And then you move into the centers where the refugees are and it, it feels, you know, obviously it's a lot more fast paced. There are there are places where you see concentrations of women and children just sitting on the side of the road near a near a train um, or like a like a, um, a metro station uh, that just have suitcases. And the children are just laying out in the sun, trying to on a blanket, trying to get a little sunshine and moms are reading books. And it's it's like it's sweet, but it's terribly sad. You know Crazy, what I mean? Yeah. Um, so it looks a little different than people think it would look. Um, but so that was surprising to see the, to just really feel safe. Like I did feel safe. Um, and, and and also being on your own, like on the border of a war country, you're Mm -hmm. like, okay, well, (laughs) baptism by fire, test out my survival skills here. But I did feel well-equipped. I felt I didn't feel like I was blind. I felt like my eyes were very much open. Obviously, I couldn't carry a firearm. I did have my knife, but uh-huh. situational awareness had to be very much on point. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I, <laughs> there were multiple times I was, you know, I'd ask, I'd ask Chad a couple of times. I'm like, do I look American? <laughs> How do I look un-American at the moment? Um, and just paying attention in a place where everybody's speaking a different language. Thankfully, a lot of, like I said, Polish people do speak some English, but it's definitely, it's definitely trying on you and builds a little resilience. Um, I had Google Translator in my phone and I had downloaded both the translations of the Polish language and the Ukrainian language. Um, but then that means I had to make sure my phone was always working. So I had multiple backup power banks mm. that I always had with me. Um, my Vertex bag was the best asset. And I know people made jokes like, oh, look, pushing them products while she's in Europe. But like, no, I was, I had to maximize efficiency. And we spoke so many times about this, like how mm -hmm. I need to mitigate risk and I need to maximize efficiency. And so I need the best possible ways to do that. Well, yeah, and look, I'm the director of marketing or CMO now, I guess. I don't actually. Chief marketing not, officer? Yeah, I guess. Um, but yeah, sure, we, I like, we push products, but because we, we believe in because them. Because we believe in them, <laughs> yeah. because we use them and we put them in real world circumstances mm -hmm. as much as we can yeah. and make sure and test them, right? right? Put them to the limits and and say, um, where are the fail points? Mm -hmm. What can we learn from these things? And I mean, it might even help some other people get some, mm -hmm. some good product in their hands. I had suitcases break. <laughs> <laughs> we laughed about that, but I did. I do a little too much shopping. And so there's American discount that happens in Ukraine. <laughs> they just, you're American, so they, they just yeah. charge you less? Just, I don't know, the conversion rate? It's just like something magical happens. <laughs> um, but I needed to especially transfer all of my medical equipment from my, I had brought my, um, my, my, like 20 liter duffel field craft duffel bag which i those like it's made of pvc and mm -hmm. so you just like throw that thing anywhere right. i swear nothing can happen to it and so i never had to worry about the stuff that i had in it getting messed up or it like unzipping like i love that about the bag it doesn't just accidentally unzip but we have all those velcro components in it mm -hmm. hook and loop i'm sorry <laughs> and so the um but the 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 outer pouch on the vertex bag I think it, they call it, even the back pouch, it's the, uh, they call it like the tactical origami. Mm -hmm. Tactigami. Tactigami, where you can use it for concealed carry. Obviously I wasn't like stripping down a carbine to put in the back there, but I was able to um, take all my Velcro components and like reattach it to the inside of the bags. And so nice. I was constantly having to repack the bags depending on what I was doing that day or like refill my med equipment. Yeah, I mean, a little shameless plug, but that's why we developed the right. bags like that. So you could take things, put them in different bags that had different circumstances mm -hmm. with the visor panel, the yeah. mobility bag or the duffel. And I use, I use it on a small um, scale, but like on a daily basis where I was having to use it, I, I had so many times I'd be like, man, this is convenient. Right. You know, even this, even like Chad was like, I need to get that backpack. Like I'm going to reach out to Vertex right now because it was just so efficient. And then like the outer pouch turns into a sling. If I had something that I couldn't fit in it or couldn't carry, I could just sling it over. And what do they call those? I don't even know the proper words for them. Like the, the like hooks. Hook. Yeah. Um, anyway, I, it just, it made it, it made it so easy, especially when you're like constantly having to meet different needs um, to just know exactly where everything's at. Cause it has so many different spaced out compartments. Um, really, really was efficient. But but that was a great way to mitigate risk. I Like I said, I had backup power banks. I had my, it's a Zolio, it's a satellite device. Um, I think people are really intimidated by satellite devices. That's why I love the Zolio. It's just, it sounds like I'm shameless plugging everything. Like no, they are not, none of these companies are sponsoring this <laughs> podcast right now. This is me legitimately talking about what worked. Um, 
And I'm a snob when it comes to like product. I'm very selective about what I use and what I bring with me. But this operates kind of like a Garmin in uh, InReach. In yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's just a small device. It's like the size of a credit card, but thicker. And it connects to, it, it's a satellite device. So yeah, it connects to the satellites. The small power bank. Yeah. Right? But you use an app on your phone. And so whoever you're communicating with has to have the app downloaded. So like I, I had my dad download the app prior to when I left and we did like some testing with it. It's easier, but I don't think you have to have it. It can send SMS messages directly to the phone, can't it? I believe, no, the end user has to have a Zobio account. I, I'm pretty for sure. For messaging or for yes. tracking? For both, I think. I'm pretty sure you can just do SMS or email. But it's better. It's a better experience if you have the app. You can double check, but. And then there's also an SOS function on it. Mm-hmm. And so now, and, and it, it alerts whatever authorities are in the geographical area in which you are at. And it allows you now, because they recently did an update, to communicate in real time to the authorities through the app, through the messaging. Mm-hmm. And they update you on like where they're at. And, you know, it sends your coordinates out to the rescue squads. And then you can communicate with the authorities. But also tells you. Tell, you can tell them mm-hmm. what type of emergency it's right. in, right? So mm-hmm. it's so they know what they're bringing exactly. to you. I mean, you're going to be a lot better off if mm-hmm. people know what they're getting into when they come in and rescue you. But we also could set it up to where it automatically, we chose the, the time frame. So like it automatically every 10 minutes could update whoever I had chosen in my update list with my location. And mm-hmm. so it would send my location every 10 minutes, you know, as long as I... I, one time I was riding in a vehicle down to the border, like mm-hmm. was going to the Ukraine border and I had to like hold it out the window to get a, <laughs> get a signal. But then I also, I had a driver and I put it on the back window and it would beep and it makes like this noise, which you can turn it off every time it sends through your location. And he was always like looking in the back at me until at one point <laughs> I was like, it's just my satellite device updating everybody on my location. Don't um, worry about it. <laughs> cashing in on my chips there. <laughs> but, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, yeah, and so it, that like being in Poland, being in the city was a very unique experience feeling feeling the intensity of the war-torn nation. I mean, having people come in from a war-torn nation, but also feeling the peace and the efficiency that they were creating there. Um now we did go down to the border. Yeah, so when um, you say you went to the border, I mean, generally speaking, you were a couple hours away from the border, border, right? For the most part, I was a couple hours away. You're talking, you actually drove down to the border. Felt very different. The actual border. Felt very different. Um, What what we were doing was there was a, a, and the way these, all of these people communicate. So they're using the church body of Ukraine and they have like a network of communication they use to let the church body that's operating in Poland know, you know, that they need help. And so there were a group of, it it was disabled youth, disabled elderly, and then families. So there were, they had people that were blind. They had people that were deaf. They had people that had, um, physical disabilities they were in wheelchairs who weren't able to displace and evacuate in the standard way and Mm -hmm. so these people were from all over poland there's a lot of orphans that they have to go in and help save and so anyway save our allies got the call that they needed a bus to transport them safely across the border and then they also needed you know safekeeping for the night all their needs needed to be met and then they needed transportation from that that facility to a neutral country where they would be long term they had like they had um, community ready to accept them. They were ready to take care of their needs because there's different but needs. But have to go through Poland. 
yeah. to get there. Yep. And so we met them at the border. They had come across the border and then we put them up for the night, met with them, like made sure all their needs were met, um, spoke to everybody who was staying with them there that night. We stayed on the border that night and then the next morning got them onto the bus away to send them away to their neutral country. Nice. That's awesome. So are you allowed to talk about like how they're finding these people? Like where are they coming from? Like how is Save Our Allies coming in, like coming to know about yeah. So, you know, America, America, the American um, military cannot be in mm -hmm. Ukraine because it would be considered a sign of aggression and they're a NATO country. And mm -hmm. so what they do is non-government agencies are the only ones who are can operate. And so what what's beautiful about Save Our Allies is they have the know how and the skills because they are veterans in order to facilitate these operations and to assist the needs. But it's a it's a lot of communication with like the church the churches mm -hmm. there who are who are people of very different skill sets um, who have been able to come together and use the all of those skill sets for one cohesive goal and that is the well-being of the Ukrainian people and the so they're able to I mean have people on the ground mm -hmm. obviously and then pass along that information via their networks yeah. um, and then so they know to communicate say we're allies with their request and so the request comes through, they approve it, and then they facilitate whatever that looks like. So there's uh, multiple there's multiple missions that are constantly going on. It may involve orphans. Mm -hmm. It may involve walking orphans across the border. So Ukraine, there, there are a lot of, of uh, Ukrainian children that are adopted by Americans. Now, if they are in the middle of an adoption, but the, it, everything hasn't gone through yet, they're still considered American citizens in some mm -hmm. capacity. And so it is, you know, it's it's very important for them to evacuate them and, and get them to safekeeping um and so i mean sometimes there's like private companies that reach out and have like with the benjamin hall scenario mm -hmm. you, they needed the best people to go in there and and carry out this this uh multinational effort is what it was honestly to get him out and so it, it was like you know fox was able to reach out to them independently so got it yeah um back to the the 41 I think it was people, actually, I got it wrong. It was like 40, it wrong? I was 47. You shortchanged? I did. Six people? I'm just, you know, humble like that. <laughs> um, it, kind of hearing this from the other side of the world, yeah. that kind of seemed like, seemed like the pinnacle of this trip, kind of represented kind of everything that I you think it probably looked like the pinnacle, you know, it, it like the optics of it uh -huh. did. I don't know. I think like it was deeply moving for me to sit on concrete floors and hold yeah. the hands of these women, you know, and wipe their tears and one by one go into a store and buy size two diapers for this specific child, like of whose face I won't forget. Like yeah. that was deeply moving. That was the pinnacle for me to know that that changed her circumstances, you know, to like write down a plan with her. Um, buy plane tickets for her, you know, like those really intimate details of like knowing this specific family was safe. Like, nice. Um, but yeah, the optics of that were great. But I mean, it was, I say optics, not in like a selfish way, but yeah. the optics in like um, it, showcasing yeah, the power. Yeah, it felt like it represented. Like, yeah. Uh, I mean, kind and of it's a demographic with that the moms gets and the babies and, and yeah. kind of seeing them come in feel like they're safe yeah. and then helping them transition out and, mm. and saying, okay, I mean, at least that's what it felt like yeah. saying, okay, like 
the work she's doing over there is helping the women and children. Right. Um, and maybe it was just more visible yeah. because it was a moment mm -hmm. rather than a lot of little things, a it lot of powerful. little moments. Yeah. It was, it was, I had so many people who have uh, disabled children who reached out and said, we, I feel so scared every time I think about disasters because I feel like we're the demographic that's going to get lost, shortchanged, fall through the cracks, whatever you want to call it. And they were, they were, I mean, they were deeply grateful when they had made it across the border. We had a man in a wheelchair who wheeled up to us and wanted to speak to us and thank us because they all knew that like we were part of the company or the organization that paid for that bus. You can imagine how scarce buses are at the time. So, and it was so, yeah. it was so cute. Cause they were like, we got them a good bus. Like it had, <laughs> it had comfy seats, you know, they had them lined up and, and it was, it, it was really sweet for them to make sure that they had everything set in place. Like where are you stopping to get food? And like made sure they had enough money to pay for all the food for the, for these people to make sure that all of their meals were supplied. And it was just a very comfortable trip for them after the horror that they came from literally yeah. um but it was a guy in a wheelchair whose dad and brother he was from eastern ukraine whose dad and brother they were caught in the shelling and his dad and brother died alongside him not fighting they weren't fighting they were trying to evacuate i mean they had been they were being pushed back into their homes by the russian forces and so they got caught in the crossfire trying to evacuate his dad and brother got killed and so he had to finish the evacuation on his own in a wheelchair that's horrible but but Oh, like no tears, smiles, like hand holds, hand squeezes, like was just so grateful, was so grateful to be on the other side, was so grateful to know that he was going to a country asking me if there was going to be football there, which is not football. Soccer. Yeah. Football. Americana. <laughs> um, like showing me pictures of his glory days back when he played football, telling me that he was going to be out of his wheelchair one day asking, you know, asking if there would be a, if there would be like physical therapy services there for him, he had gotten in a car accident. So that's why he was in, in a wheelchair. Um, but just like believing he had a future, like even talking about the future. And it's like a week before this guy's life was turned upside down, but all he could do was be hopeful and grateful. It's an amazing attitude. It is an amazing attitude. And like the but. little children just running around, like pulling on my backpack, trying to get me to give them more fruit snacks <laughs> and, you know, following me pulling around. Pulling fruit like, snacks out of uh, your, your bag? Yeah, that That's Vertex something. bag. Good for so many things. Um, you know, like I, I, I was playing with this little girl specifically and then I walked away and we were, you know, having a conversation with somebody else and I'd feel her rolling a little ball up against my ankles and she was, you know, like, she wasn't done, done playing. <laughs> yeah. She wanted more attention. And so like, I mean that I love children, you know, mm -hmm. it's I'm like, I'm immediately on the ground with them. <laughs> and, uh, and so, yeah, it was, it was a really unique experience. And then to see them so elated that night to just be hopeful and, and just like waiting that next sunrise so they could get on their bus and be off to what they, to what was a future that they never thought that they would have to be like begging for, you know? Yeah. And um, just to see their faces the next morning, just like so excited. You know, I don't know if you guys saw the video on my Instagram of them like waving and just like cheering, you know, um, but the, the feeling was just it was deeply moving. I, I definitely was a different American that day. Yeah. Yeah. What is what's your biggest takeaway from the experience? I think we have to, we just have to open our eyes to what freedom is and what it takes to maintain a freedom. Um, I, I do my best to teach my children um 
what that looks like and how that was fought for. And, and despite the controversy of our time and what people believe about our country, and yes, we have so much that needs to be improved, um, and worked on and built upon, but we just, we just can't lose sight of what we have, um, of what, of that, of that peace that we don't even understand we have simply because we lay our children to bed at night under that flag, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And, and despite, despite the growth that we must have, I was telling you about the, the book I wrote about the comparison of, of the Nazi regime and the caste system in India to mm-hmm. the America, America and what they, they deem us as a caste system, despite, despite the beliefs and, and, and certain, certain truths around certain parts of that, um, because we are human and everything mm-hmm. is, everything about us will always be human. Um, we can't forget, we can't forget. They haven't forgotten. Other countries haven't forgotten what America stands for. And in the midst of their despair, they still look to America for hope. They still looked at us and see us as beacons of signs of freedom um, and hope for that because we have led the way and shown what that looks like. But we have to fight for that. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people have a hard time, you know, seeing America, the American government Mm -hmm. going and spending money outside when there's people here that need help. But um, but I love seeing people volunteer to go and help and that's on their their of their own choice right and you know we talked about kind of the political divide that some people have and and the political um optics that they're looking at this situation through but being able to say that i chose to go Mm -hmm. and i chose to go help those people and then being able to talk individually with them and being able to kind of see their perspective and maybe give them a new perspective on Americans, not necessarily America, mm-hmm. but Americans. Yes. And being able to say, this is what Americans mm-hmm. do, and this is what we believe in, um, regardless of the decisions that are made you know, by our leaders or by our government, but being able to do that on an individual level is powerful. The belief in democracy, mm-hmm. the belief in freedom, and having the freedom to bring that to the rest of the world, yeah. You know, I right now my children are memorizing the preamble to the Constitution, and the last line says, "Do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America." A lot of people say "of the United States of America," and I'll catch they'll catch I catch them saying that sometimes. What I've done is I've broken it down into each section, and so every time we do a different section, I explain the meaning of it. Otherwise, it's just words they repeat. Mm-hmm. I need them to understand the meaning, mm-hmm. and so. After a few times of me catching them saying of the United States of America, they now understand it. This wasn't a this wasn't created as a document to lord over of the United States of America, which meant individual states representing individual people united under one flag and under one belief of freedom and democracy. It was for the United States uh-huh. of America. It was a document created for the people. Right. So that we could, as people, as individuals, have those those freedoms and right. and 
the ability to live life in the best way that we could. And the choice. Mm -hmm. The choice to understand you have a voice. It's not enough to talk about how we don't have a voice, how voting doesn't matter. It doesn't make a difference. All of these things don't matter. It does matter. Mm -hmm. Like they're definitely, I mean, and, and in different ways and in different scales, there's, we have a voice that we can share and sharing that with other people, sharing that, you know, through voting and all of that all impact kind of the direction of how things are going and being able to share that with you know, I mean, your, your communities of people and being able to kind of develop those things together, I think is also powerful. And again, that's why I think local government and local elections and local communities coming together, um, is, is a great place to start because it allows you to see more directly the impact, um, and being able to take that and, and build upon it. Mm-hmm. You know, we we are given the power and, and the Constitution establishes securing the blessings of liberty. And so in that in that short week, I was able to take my security of the blessings of liberty, which is I think is something that we can't we can't see as the as a bedrock of something that could never change. Like, yes, they've been secured for you. But, oh, be careful. Oh, be careful mm-hmm. not to take that for granted, right? Mm-hmm. How fast can that security be taken from underneath your feet by you believing that the Constitution does not exist for you? Yeah, there's plenty of ways that it can be taken away immediately as well as gradually over time. Let the Ukrainian people be proof mm-hmm. that if you don't go down without a fight, it'll be taken away. You might, you can make it a little more difficult. <laughs> You know, I mean, I think a lot of the world thought that this war would not be going the way it's going. But the Ukrainian people said, hold my whatever Ukrainian. I'm trying to find a culturally appropriate word to use here. I mean, if it was Russians, it'd be vodka, but. Right. I don't know. I don't know about the I was I was about to go German, so. Um, espresso. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but not going down without a fight. Mm-hmm. Your blessings of liberty were secured, but that's an active lifestyle of maintaining the security. And so taking that across the ocean, taking my secured blessings of liberty to people who needed it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's... That's what... that. I mean, that was the most significant thing to me was to realize, was to realize that regardless of America, because of my blessings of liberty that were secured for me, I got to represent America in the way that I believe America should be represented. I got to choose that. So rather than just complaining about it or abiding in whatever I thought I should sit back and abide in because I have no control over things, I showed myself and the people in my direct impact that that's not true. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, it's powerful. It's a to learn those things and to be able to see those directly is, I think it's powerful. Yeah. Um, it was definitely an honor. Um, and one that I, I didn't, I didn't take for granted or take like lightly. And I, and I feel like my training at field craft and, and honestly my upbringing in a very rural lifestyle and a self-reliant lifestyle all just really positioned me to do it in a very safe way. Mm-hmm. Um, I never felt unsafe. 
Um, it was very hot on the border. It was a very different feeling on the border. You mm -hmm. know, I, I remember the sounds at night and, and just like the air was very, felt very uh, heavy, really did. Felt yeah. a lot different in the inner city. And, and I, in my hostel of a room, I had to keep the window open that night. And I remember halfway through the night, I was like, who am I? I'm a cowboy. I'm <laughs> <laughs> like sleeping on the border of a war-torn country with the window open. I don't know what happened to me. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was a, a very unique experience. And, and uh, people think I'm crazy when I say, I just don't feel like I'm done. Like, I feel mm -hmm. like, I feel like my feet are going to be back on the ground in some way, you know? Nice. Yeah. I mean, it's good to feel like you had that experience mm -hmm. and, you know, thinking, okay, there's more of that. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. we got more, more work to do. Met, met a wonderful mother and woman who's there um, with her husband, he's representing the United States as his role, um, in, in, in his military role. And so, um, she actually had followed me on Instagram for a while. And so it was like, <laughs> it was so that's happened a few times when I've taken large, like trips somewhere far, um, where people will reach out and I know it seems crazy. I'm like, I, I know them from the internet, <laughs> <laughs> but I screened them. Okay. And she was, she, they're always legit, but to feel like even across the world, I had a community, mm -hmm. another mom who uses the home, same homeschool curriculum reached out. We met up. Um, and I felt like, I felt like she was a soul I'd known my whole life. You know, I mean, we hit it off so quickly and, and she has such a heart for the Ukrainian people. And her her church is actually part of a group who's taking in as many people as they can for long term. And so she has deep connections to the Ukrainian people right now. And and um, and I'd love to work with her to just expand a ministry of some sorts, even if that involves in evolves into just communicate communicating into educating our children about what's going on using resources and artwork and lessons from literal refugees who want to share their stories and want to let the world know what it is that's happening, you know, mm -hmm. and just giving them voices. Yeah. You know, that's, and, that's yeah. our way of securing Liberty for them in some capacity, educating, empowering, yeah, teaching them the lessons that they can learn. I mean, those are great. Yeah. Well, what else? it's an experience. Such an experience. How long have we been mm, talking? I don't know. Over an hour. Shoot. If you're still listening, <laughs> bless you. Anybody left? Um, I mean, we kind of talked about it, but I love kind of thinking about the lessons that we can learn. Yeah. Um, and the things that we can do to prepare ourselves for whatever we might find ourselves in. Um, Tragedy being, does not discriminate. Yeah. I mean, everybody's everywhere all the time we constantly are seeing things um in, in the united states and abroad that are displacing people from their homes mm -hmm. or putting them in circumstances where they have to um, up and leave or hunker down i mean we talk about bugging out a lot but also staying in their home and mm -hmm. making sure they have the things or i mean we found out as a country what happens when the supply chain goes down yeah you know those grocery stores have enough food for about like a day and a half, mm -hmm. three days at the most. And that goes real quick when everybody's like, oh, I don't have enough stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and so being able to look at those different circumstances and, and put themselves in a position, teach their kids about how to um, deal with certain types of things so that when you are put in that situation, uh, 
you're in a lot better place mm-hmm. and it it's still going to be inconvenient it might still be rough and, mm-hmm. and terrible but it's not going to be nearly as rough or nearly as terrible if you hadn't done those things before um i love too the way that conversation that i had with the sweet polish woman went when she said you could feel things heating up if you were paying attention yeah. you know it's so true of all of us what's heating up I mean, you look at COVID and you look at stuff with that and that heated up, you could definitely tell and certain people kind of started doing certain things and then all of a sudden it was rushes for toilet paper and gas. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, you know, all of a sudden everybody knew that it was happening, but before that you could see it was heating up. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and, you know, her terms, I I like that heating up, you could see there's signs. um, Now it helps if you're just prepared a long time before that, but mm-hmm. heating up, you can look at the specifics of what you might be facing and, and, mm-hmm. and tweak and add and adjust um, your your preparedness plans to match that. And, it's, it, and, and it ready. goes alongside with my, you know, the tagline I use on, on my own and in my own brand, the Eyes Up Buttercup. Mm-hmm. It, it's not just what's heating up, it's paying attention to what's happening. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, let's look at a very basic truth. Ukraine produces a very large amount of wheat, a significant amount of wheat. Mm-hmm. And not anymore. You're going to run into supply chain issues. <laughs> You're going to run into a lot of issues. What will that look like? Is that going to look like something tomorrow? Most likely not. But that could be something to consider heating up. What yeah. are you going to do about it? Mm-hmm. Wheat stores very easily, you know. I mean, you've seen my five-gallon buckets of grain. Yeah. Um, you know, if that's something you're concerned about, I, and I always, I always encourage people, sit down. A lot of preparedness is simply a self-evaluation to begin with. Sit down, have a discussion with your significant other or your family. What are you nervous about? What makes you nervous? Personal discernment is, I've talked about it so much tonight, but it's because I truly believe that we have such a gift inside of us that is so rarely utilized. What makes you anxious? What makes you nervous? Think about it, dig into that, write it down. That's something that's heating up for you. Mm -hmm. Even if that's just the the spark. Another thing that we've been talking about for a long time, but even more so recently is, how can you use recreation or how can you use things that you enjoy to help you prepare for those things right and and put things into practice mm-hmm. in a fun way like things right. that you enjoy so that you can test things so that you mm-hmm. can try like if you never were able to prepare or test things you would never be ready mm-hmm. it doesn't matter how much you're going to be able to do you have to be able to go run through the scenarios um and work with the family members and work with with the other people that to kind of know the things that work and don't work for you guys. And it's not just like, I say this all, I, I've, I've really gotten disciplined with my physical fitness in the last couple months. And it's every time I talk to my trainer, I'm like, I wanna be able to put Etta on my shoulders and climb up Bridal Veil Falls, you know, mm-hmm. without like dying halfway <laughs> up. It's all very functional fitness for me, but it's not just that, it's navigating, you know, going on a hike with your children, taking your children, we say operating the outdoors, because obviously that's something we're enthusiastic about, but also taking your children to a museum, somewhere where they have to follow your instructions and 
seeing how you can do that in a very effective way to teach them to listen to your style of communication, paying attention, getting get off get off of your phone and pay attention so that you're not distracted because when they notice you're distracted, they're going to test you because that's what kids do and figure out how to communicate with them to where if you are in a more hazardous circumstance, you've established this way of communicating with your children in public in an area where maybe you can't raise your voice. Maybe you have to be a little more quiet. Um, you have to be a little more cognizant of how you're communicating with them, the way you're communicating with them, trying out your code words. It's like very simple. It's not even like, why am I saying the word like? <laughs> it's not even putting them out there saying, we're going to go do um, a, a drill where I'm going to use your code word. I'm going to create a fake emergency scenario. I mean, those are great too, but it's, it's literal fun and enjoyment, but you're just using it as a, yeah. a scenario to see how do they respond to me? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm in a museum. I can't be loud. I have to be very calm and quiet and subdued. How can I calm myself down? Cause we as parents can get overwhelmed really easily. Right. Mm -hmm. How do I calm myself down? The purposeful interactions right. with your kids. How do I speak and, to them in a way in which they understand and relay important information? And that just goes through living your life. The outdoors is just a great and significant way to do it. You know, I, and I, you know, how many mothers I saw trying to carry bags and children on their hips, like that's functional fitness. <laughs> <laughs> you got to prepare but, for that. Yeah. You got to prepare for that. But yeah, starting with your own life, looking at what it feels like is heating up for you and then saying there's no point in worrying about something. Turn your worry. Use that as a catalyst for your preparedness plan. Say, I'm worried about this, but it's simply because I don't have a plan in place in mm -hmm. case this were to happen. When you create a, a plan, it negates the majority of that worry. I mean, there's still the human and natural part of you that's going to worry about things outside of your control. But when you control the controllables... It really changes things for you. You free up that headspace to focus on other things, whether that's even your emotional and mental fortitude and your bonding and your forging a relationship and communicating with your children. You're able to free up the headspace in order to do that and to live your life in the meantime, mm -hmm. you know? And it allows you to take, do things in stages yeah. helps with that, right? Right. Being able to say, I don't have to do everything all at once. Mm -hmm. Let's start with the thing that concerns me the most. Right. What does that look like? Yeah. And how can I, how can I address that? And then, and then move on. And, and again, those purposeful interactions with your kids and with your family members saying they reacted this way when I did this mm -hmm. and that's good or bad. Let's, let's adjust that. Let's see what they do when I, when I interact with them in this way, mm -hmm. or let's have that conversation about why that, that action that they took maybe harmful or maybe beneficial and helping them to, to kind of see in a way that's not threatening in a way that is, um, meaningful and significant to them to say, Oh, okay. That's why my parents did this. Mm -hmm. So if they do that again in the future, then I understand a little bit better and being able to have those over and over again, ingrains that in the kids mm -hmm. to be able to, again, learn, grow, understand a plan and follow a plan yeah. should the, should an emergency happen. Or we have such a lack of leadership though that, that happened like true leadership. And so for, for people, when they see responses in, in other people who haven't yet gotten to a place where they're willing to take responsibility for that, for those characteristics. And they're like, Oh, that's just how they behave that way. Like I'm not going to actually capitulate to, to that person's behavior. 
Um, they're just gonna have to get it together. You know, you see a lot mm-hmm. of that coming out. And so, but true leadership takes on the form of understanding someone's strengths, weaknesses, obviously setting boundaries, but understanding that in these emergent states, a true leader will be able, and I hope every family has one. And I hope if you're listening to this and you don't feel like your family has one, maybe this is the push for you to become that one in your family is understand the shortfalls and weaknesses of the people in your family and be willing to meet them at those places in order to secure safety for your family. That's leadership, not saying, oh, they're just going to have to suck it up. They're just going to have to deal with the way they are. Like, I'm not making I'm not like making accommodations for them. Well, hopefully one day they'll get to the place where they want to change. But obviously, if you notice those signs in them, you might be at it more of an emotionally higher state than they are, a a more emotionally wise state than they are. And so it is your responsibility to have the humility to say, I don't like it. I wish they'd change it, but I can't control another person Mm -hmm. and meet them there and mitigate those risks for your family. Otherwise, it's just chaos. Yeah, and you don't get anywhere. No, and I, I mean, I, I did see a multitude of people in deep arguments, just like creating the worst <laughs> rifts possible in the most emergent states that you can imagine <laughs> them in. Imagine them in, and it's like you wanted to sit them down and give them like a therapy session in the midst <laughs> of it. Like, listen, this isn't really doing any benefit for you in this circumstance at the shelter, on this border. <laughs> <We're down. laughs> Like, let's figure let's figure out what the real issue is here and work through it. You know, <laughs> someone want to be leader who wants to be leader. Um, and so, like, that is even deeply powerful for a family when somebody has the ability to step forward and say, I'm going to be that for my family. Yeah. You know? and, so, and that doesn't involve any tools. You don't have to purchase anything. It doesn't involve um, a great backpack. Just a little bit of time and understanding. Yeah. Wisdom, some humility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes so, those are harder. Can I just buy things? So important, though. <laughs> no, you can't buy your way out of these. Dang it. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, what can people do now to help in the situation? Like I said before, I think it's so important to sit your family down and and start with um, start with asking what they understand about things. Like, figure out what narratives have been told to them. Like, what they've heard out in passing what they read on Facebook, um, like what their belief is so that you, you can get the foundation of, of what their knowledge is and, uh, and do this with any topic mm-hmm. and then learn together, teach them together, give them an understanding about what's happening, why it's happening, the dangers that exist in a society that could lead to this, what turning up the heat looks like and feels like. Um, and I mean, getting involved is so important. Like, I feel like we all, especially in the day and age of technology, we all have the ability to get a, a lot um, more of a comprehensive look at what's happening on the inside than we did in years past and in wars past, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, this is the first, the first major war we've seen happen in the age of technology in which we have now. You know, we had a bit of that in the GWAT, but so much more now. Oh yeah. Um, and so gleaning what you can glean using your personal discernment and then supporting in whatever capacity you can support, you know, making those donations to organizations that, you know, NGO organizations that are doing good work, like save our allies. Um, you can do that at saveourallies.org. We'll put the links down in the show notes. Yeah. Fieldcraft started a foundation. Yeah. I mean, we had been talking about it for a while, but mm-hmm. this really helped us kick it into gear. Cause we're like, 
hey, we need this to be able to help more effectively and more efficiently. Um, and so, I mean, just kicked it off mm -hmm. before this. Don't even have a lot of the pieces in place, but kind of got things rolling so that mm -hmm. we can um, take that. And so, again, we can have the links in the, the show notes. And if I, you the Fieldcraft Foundation is established to help with both na both national and international mm -hmm like with our Afghan refugees, like yeah. we've had so many financial needs that they've had that having this foundation, if we would have had this foundation, it would have been helpful. You know, yeah. we were able to facilitate those needs um, on our own. Yeah. I mean, looking at people that are, find themselves in situations that mm -hmm. we are teaching about preparing for. Right. Um, and coming in and just being, and being that grassroots to... help. I mean, I even like Chad reached out to me this week and said that, you know, Michael had said he, that we'd be sending him a bunch, Mike, sorry. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I like full names around here um, that we'd be sending him some tourniquets, mm -hmm. you know, um, like while I was on the ground, I gave I gave the team my bleeding control kits mm -hmm. because they didn't have any in their their bags that they were carrying with them across the border. And I I was you know, I was schooling them on the necessity of that bleeding control and teaching them how to use it. it. I don't know. You know. I mean, we, we saw real quick um, tourniquets coming in got real hard to get for a minute yeah. and we were like oh let's and so we actually had to stop sales mm -hmm. for a little bit while we were kind of gathering and things so that we could a provide some for those people in need as well as um being able to secure more for everybody here so yeah. that we could have those um but we saw that real quick mm -hmm. um what can happen uh when something big goes on and right. if you don't have them i mean i had people in my neighborhood my church sit there and say can you get me tourniquets yeah like, uh all of a sudden, I, I know I need these now. Right. I, 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 I've, I've talked about them. I've thought about them. But now I need them. I even had a lot of questions this week. People witnessing the the tragic shooting that happened um, on the subway in, in New York. New York, And they were they saw what it looked like for somebody kit. to be sitting on the ground with a bleeding arterial bleed. And they're like, oh, well, those tourniquets you said. Like, that would be mighty handy mm -hmm. to have in my diaper bag right about now. Yeah, make sure you have them on you so you can access them. Yeah. So... Um, a lot of lessons to be learned. I mean, it's lessons. if you're willing to learn them. If you're willing to learn them, so eyes up, buttercups. <laughs> awesome. Well, it's been a great talk. I know. I'm glad. I'm glad we got to sit this and get it. Sit down and get this down before life comes in, and I forget yeah. so much. Of it. I don't think I will. But no. But even I mean, I look at it. I've a couple of these circumstances, and when you're not directly involved or directly seen the things happen it, it, it can you know you can forget about it pretty quick yeah and i think it's important to make sure that we are remembering what's actually still happening mm -hmm. and remembering the people and remembering that oh, yeah. they still have needs this isn't ending anytime soon yeah. you know and you see with crisis i mean we see this with hurricanes all the time the the immediate influx of help is so great and then all of a sudden so everybody forgets yeah but it's like these people are displaced it's not they're not going home anytime soon. Yeah. And to what, you mm -hmm. know, um, they're going to need, they're going to need the, the alliance of a lot of people who care to help them, especially with the multicultural movement and the, you know, the displacement from their home and their language and everything that they know and have known. The rest of their life is, mm -hmm. is changed. I mean, it's all there and it's never going to be the same. Yeah. So, Awesome. Any final thoughts? I don't think so. No? Good. I, I mean, like, I'm so grateful for the work we get to do. And, and, like, if anything, I just wish I could sit down with all the moms and say, and, like, 
express the heart of the Ukrainian women who say, mm. I just wish I would have had more time to prepare and say, you know, what's heating up in your life? Like, yeah. let's t just take a minute to prepare. For you that. had the time. You just didn't yeah. take it. And I think if you haven't had it's that thing happen, mm. take the time now yeah. so that you're not saying, I wish I would have taken the time to prepare. That We have the luxury of time right now. Yeah. At this exact moment, on this exact day, we have the luxury of time. Mm -hmm. Just priorities, mm -hmm. making sure that it's one of them. Yeah. Awesome. Well, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for joining me on the, uh, the podcast and yeah. uh, look forward to next time. Definitely. Bye, guys. We'll see you.